Yeah, today we're bringing a close uh, to this series with this question, what about health and healing? But before I do that, I want to talk about what's next as we close this down today. I want to talk to you about what's coming up. And next weekend, we're going to launch a new three-week series that we're getting really excited about. It's called The Time Is Now. And if you're new to our church, what we do is we preach our sermons in series. So uh, we'll pick a topic or a book of the Bible, and then we'll talk about that thing for several weeks. And uh, this, we're in a topical series right now with the topics that you chose at Easter. But our next series, we're going to go verse by verse through a little two-chapter book in the Old Testament called Haggai. And it's hard to find, but uh, it packs quite a punch. And we're getting so excited about Haggai. Uh, next weekend's also Mother's Day weekend, uh, so bring your mom back for that. We're going to have some fun. We've got some special stuff planned for that. Then we'll celebrate our birthday as a church the first weekend of June. Um, going to be a powerful weekend, powerful party as we celebrate our birthday. Um, but then we move into the summer, and right now our, our, our small groups are going into a break for the month of May. And our small groups run on semesters, so we're just finishing up a semester that started in January, we're going to break for May, and then we'll gather again together uh, in the summer for the June and July summer semester. And uh, this summer, I want to lead our church and our small groups through uh, an emphasis of serving. And this summer, our small groups are going to have this emphasis of serving Uh, where we're going to offer a curriculum called A Place to Serve. It's going to be a follow-up to this Belong curriculum that we've uh, been offering. And the Serve curriculum, I'll do the teaching on video. We'll have stories from people in our church. And uh, we're going to preach on serving as it pertains to leadership and uh, spiritual gifts and uh, lots of different things. It's going to be really compelling. And then it's all going to culminate in a day on July 14th, that Saturday, called Serve Day. And a church-wide serve day where all our groups are going to gather together. Anybody that wants to serve, we're going to serve our community and community impact. Uh, Whether it's as simple as picking up trash, uh, whether it's as simple as uh, writing cards to uh, um, people who are deployed from our community or whoever, letting them know uh, God loves them and we love them, uh, or building and constructing something that's going to make a difference. But we want to serve our community. So all the stuff that we learn in the videos and in the books and in the sermons is going to grow hands and feet and we're going to use it and we're going to serve. And I just want you to get that date on your calendar as you plan your summer. Now a lot of people will tell me when we get into summer groups, they'll say, well, I'm going to be gone for several weeks or whatever and that they won't plug in. But we're all going to have weeks that we're gone. Uh, so just plug in anyway, and don't let that keep you from even leading a group or being part of a group. I lead a small group, and I've got uh, a few weeks in the summer that I'm going to miss it, uh, but we're still going to do group and make it work and still going to do the serve day, and uh, you're going to have more information on all of that in the coming days and the coming weeks of when we release the study and signing up for groups and all those things, but that's what's coming up. Today, though, we're going to look at an amazing topic And that is what the Bible has to say about health, and even more specifically, healing. And this is an area many people don't understand, but we're going to take a biblical approach and see what God's Word actually says about people being healed. And one of the clearest places where it talks about sick people getting well is in the New Testament, in the book of James, 
where it says uh, on the screen or in your notes, James chapter 5, is anyone among you in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy, let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick, let the elders of the church, call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now we've all been sick. Many of us have gone through or are going through major illness or physical struggle. And James says, go get some believers, some leaders, have them pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, a lot of people get really focused on the oil. The oil is a symbol. There's no real power in the oil itself. Uh, It's a symbol. Just like baptism, that's a symbol. Communion is a symbol. And the oil is a symbol. A symbol of what? Symbol of the Holy Spirit. Believer has the Holy Spirit within them, and an ongoing anointing from the Holy Spirit. So the oil is a symbol for you to focus on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit testifies, and that's Jesus. So the oil is a symbol to help you keep your eyes focused on Jesus, not necessarily the person praying for you, because that's where the power is. It's in Jesus' name. And it wouldn't be a ton of oil. It's just going to be a dab on the forehead, And the emphasis is that this is done in the name of the Lord, as it says. And it goes on, because the prayer offered in faith, that's the key word that we're going to talk about today, faith. Because wherever you see the topic of healing in the Bible, you see faith. Wherever the subject of healing, there's also the subject of faith. And we're going to talk about faith today, because the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins. A lot of people would say, no, I don't want to talk about sin. I'm sick. It says, confess your sins. This is important, too, to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And that's a different word for the word healed. He's taking it to another level. And he's saying that this doesn't only mean physical healing for the sick person, that this this type of healing is an inner healing and freedom like you've never known. And then he ends with this big faith statement, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So let's talk about the topic of being healed. What are we to believe about healing? And there's two extremes that you're going to find in the body of Christ from church to church by and large on healing. Uh, One of the extremes is, this isn't in your notes, it's just further introduction. One of the extremes is the confessionist approach. And the confessionist approach is that all you've got to do is name it and claim it. Okay, that you just say it and you can have it. And the the confessionists will even say, don't go to the doctor, don't do the treatments, don't take the medicine, uh, just ask for healing. And if you don't get it, it's because there's something wrong with you and there's something between you and God. And there's a lot of condemnation with that one. And God's not a God of condemnation. And maybe some of you came from a situation like that. But then you have this whole other side. So it's like a pendulum that swings the other way. And it's what's called cessationist approach. And cessationists say, well, God doesn't even do miracles anymore. That God uh, isn't working miracles. That he's not healing. And that once the final apostle died, God closed up shop. And what they do is they take a teaching too far that says that the purpose of the apostles' miracles was to authenticate them and to have God testify to it by signs and wonders and miracles. And 
they'll say that now that we have the authenticated writings of the apostles and the gospels and the words of Jesus, that that's the cornerstone of our faith and God no longer does signs and miracles and wonders. But God still does miracles. He's still in the miracle working business. So yes, we have the authenticated words of the apostles. So, so we don't see healing quite like we did with the apostles and in scripture, but God's still in the miracle working business and there's no healing apart from God. And where we struggle to believe that is that we've all had experiences where God said no and God didn't do the miracle and we're living with an illness or with a struggle that we've prayed would go away. And we've even buried people that we've prayed for. And we've all experienced this. I've experienced this. I know what it's like to pray for healing and it not happen. To pray for healing for someone else and it not happen. I know what it's like to sit in a doctor's office and get bad news. I know what it's like to sit in the specialist's office and them give you a solution that's really no option at all. I know what it's like to sit in that ultrasound room and get the news and discover that that baby's not going to make it. I know what it's like to be in a room with family who's prayed, just prayed for someone and and that we lost that, that loved one or they lost that loved one and on and on and on. But I've also had times where God interceded. I've also got more than a decade's worth of small group prayer requests where God said yes. And the only explanation is God. He's the only one that could have done it. But what's really happening in those two extremes is the church trying to answer this question. Why doesn't God heal every time we pray? And we're trying to reconcile that question with an extreme answer. Why did God heal this person in a miraculous way, but he didn't heal this person? Oh, we've had situations in our church family that we've prayed for them. We asked God to heal, and he did it miraculously. We've had situations where we asked God to heal and God didn't. We've had situations where we've asked God to heal and he'll take the disease away and then a a few months later the person will pass away. Either the disease comes back or something else. And I just want to look at, at three observations as we try to reconcile this question. And if you're taking notes, three observations from this James text is number one, God still heals people. Second Timothy 4.18 says, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. Now the Apostle Paul wrote that. And you might say, really Paul? Aren't you the guy that wrote most of your letters from prison? <laughs> Are you the guy that was whipped without number? Are you the guy that was shipwrecked three times? And he would say, yes. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Well, which is it, Paul? Is God going to rescue me or am I going to heaven? Is he rescuing me or bringing me? Yes, both. And we've personally, in our church, seen both sides of this. We've seen God say yes and heal, and we've seen God say no and healing not happen. You got to grab a hold of this verse because both of them are miracles. Both of them are a work of God. When you serve Jesus Christ, you're in a win-win situation. Because both places, God does the miracle. He'll either heal you and you'll glorify God, or you may die and be in glory. 
And you have to understand this dynamic of faith. And we may not understand why God doesn't heal every time we pray, but guess what? I'm not going to let my faith be hindered by my understanding. That's why it's called faith. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to take Him at His word that He delivers me from every evil attack and He takes me safely into His kingdom. That's why James changes the subject, it seems, when he says, oh, by the way, uh, if, if the person sins, they'll be forgiven too. If you confess your sins and pray for each other, now that's real healing, deeper than the physical. You can't take it away. And James is talking about the soul because the second observation is this, God is also concerned about my soul. So God likes bodies. He does. He created your body. One day, every body will rise. We talked about that last week in the end times message. But God is also very concerned, even more so, with our soul. We get so concerned about the body. We lock our doors. We buy insurance. We do everything we can to protect the body. We take vitamins. We work out. And we should do those things. Absolutely. We need to be healthy. We need to be good stewards of our body. Because God created our body and he likes bodies. In fact, we have whole small groups at Rockbrook like Refit uh, that help us get healthy and stay healthy. We're going to take care of our bodies. But look at what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, if it's all about the body, you're too body focused. You're missing the point if you think it's all just about being physically healed and that it's all about the body. So go to the gym, see the doctor, do the treatments, watch what you eat, but be concerned about your soul. Also, go to your small group and confess your sins. Find freedom and healing from the past, from the things that are holding you down. Be concerned about your soul. You want to know what a real miracle is? It's when a person's sins are forgiven. Real healing that only Jesus can offer is healing of the soul. Praise God when things work out for you here on earth. But the more amazing miracle is that when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. And celebrate the earthly miracles, but rejoice that heaven is open to you today. After Jesus' uh, followers, uh, they, they went out and they, they had the power to cast out demons. And they were casting out demons and they came back to Jesus fired up. And Jesus says, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I want them to do everything on earth. But God isn't so earth focused. He's not so temporary focused because the real goal of all of this, and here's that last observation as it regards to healing in that text, as he just keeps stirring prayer and healing and faith and prayer and healing in this big pot, and he comes to this observation, number three, that God wants me to grow in my faith. Key word, grow. He wants me to grow in my faith. I'll say it this way. He wants to take me on a faith journey. The faith to believe for the miracle on earth, the faith to believe heaven, the faith to believe everything in between. You know, when you go on a journey, when you go on a road trip, you learn that there's two types of people. 
And uh, there's, the, there's the person who on the road trip is the destination person. And they're all about just getting to the destination. And then you got the, the journey person who they would like to stop and see everything along the way. And I'm a destination person. Like, I pull out of the driveway, I see the arrival time on the GPS, and my number one goal is to beat that arrival time. <laughs> but then you got the person who would really like to stop and see the world's biggest ball of tin foil, and it messes with the destination person. And I want to tell you something about God today, and if you don't learn this and don't figure it out, it's gonna, Christianity's going to drive you nuts. God's a journey person. God will get you to the destination, but it's no good to you and it's no good to him if you arrive to the destination and have had no life change, no transformation, haven't grown in your faith, haven't transformed your character, and haven't conformed you into the likeness of his son. He'll get you there, but it's a journey. We're so concerned about what's happening to us God's concerned about what's happening in us. And while we're going through what we're going through, God's at work even when we don't realize it. And so I want to take you on a faith journey. What, what is, if it's a faith journey, what is faith? Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So I have not seen it yet. I haven't seen it, but I believe it just as though I've seen it. And without that faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who what? Earnestly seek him. When do you seek God the most? I want you to think through your faith journey up until this point in your life. When have you sought God the most? Is it when every need was met? Or is when you had some needs? The answer's obvious. Biggest growth spurts in my faith are the ones where I've got a need that I need met. And I got my face in this thing and tears pouring out. Biggest growth spurts in my faith have been when I'm following that bed into the operating room that my wife's on. And man, I've got the word open and I've got tears streaming down my face and I'm crying out to God in prayer. That's a growth spurt. That's a faith journey. And that's why the very next verse in this James passage, he tells a story to illustrate this faith. James closes by referencing an Old Testament person. His name's Elijah. James 5.17, Elijah was a human being even as we are. And the people James is writing to would have said, nah, no, no, no. Elijah was a miracle man. And James says, no, he's just like you. And then he references an account that we're going to look at today. That Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Now, in two sentences, James sums up an amazing account in the life of Elijah uh, that we need to know about. So let me quickly set up and do some history on this account with Elijah. Uh, he was a prophet while an evil man named Ahab was king. And Ahab, Scripture tells us, was the 19th consecutive evil king. And Scripture tells us that he'd done more evil than all the other kings. More evil in the eyes of God than any of those before him. Now, Ahab had an even wickeder wife. 
and he was easily controlled by her. So Ahab and Jezebel, his wife, had turned the hearts of the people away from God to false prophets. So God raises up a prophet named Elijah. And a prophet who would, uh, he would proclaim the word of God. And Elijah means, my God is Yahweh. It's very bold. Hello, I'd like to introduce myself to you. My name is my God is Yahweh. So your God may be the sex God or the sun God or the nature God. My God is the one true God. And Elijah takes that boldness and he stands down evil King Ahab and says, it's not going to rain on your land until, until I ask God to cause it to rain. His words forecasting the weather, not like a weatherman, but actually his words turning on and off the water supply. And so he pronounces this huge drought and sure enough, it doesn't rain at all. And God takes Elijah to a ravine where he's humbled in a season of hiding, where God miraculously provides for him in the middle of this drought while Ahab's trying to kill him. And then one day this brook dries up that was providing water for Elijah, and God led him to a ravine called Zarephath, where he met a widow who had almost nothing, just a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. She thought she was going to die. God miraculously multiplied it multiplied it, and provided for her. And then one day, the widow's son died. And for the first time ever recorded in Scripture, Elijah takes this dead boy up into the upper room, and God raises this boy from the dead. And then after a season of hiding where there's been no rain, God calls Elijah back to confront Ahab, the evil king, and he, he calls him out to a showdown. And he says, go get all the false, false prophets, 450 false prophets of Baal, 400 false prophets of Asherah, and bring them up to this mountain, Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a showdown and see who the true God really is, who the real God really is. And so the false prophets build an altar, and they put a bull on it, and they start praying to their gods, asking their gods to light the altar on fire. And all morning, they're dancing, it gets gruesome, they start cutting themselves trying to get these false gods to light this altar. And Elijah, uh, he starts mocking them. And he starts yelling out, oh, yell louder. Maybe your gods are asleep. Wake them up. Yell louder. Maybe they've gone to the bathroom. Maybe they're distracted. Get, a, get them, get their attention. And then Elijah builds his altar. And he has the false prophet soak it in water has the false prophet soak it in water in the middle of this drought. And then he calls on God. And God sends fire straight down from heaven to consume the altar and consume the, consume the whole thing, even lick up all the water in the trench around it. And he looks at Ahab and he says, I hear a rainstorm coming. And that's how faith begins. That's how the faith journey begins every time. Let me show it to you. It begins with a word from God. Would you write that in? Number one, faith begins with a word from God. And it's a word from God's word. We get a promise from the Bible. And there are thousands of promises from God in here. And maybe you were once believing God for a promise, but you've stopped. You've let your faith grow weary, and you've let the, the passion slip away. Let's back up in the story and see how it begins in 1 Kings 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, 
as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my what? He gotten a word from God. Let me say something to you about the promises of God. They always come to pass. You need to grab a hold of this today and understand it. God's promises come to pass. There will be a moment where you stand face to face before God and you're going to say, God, you were right. Everything you did was right. And your, God, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to see the truth. Oh God, you did, did the right thing there. I know it looks crazy right now. I, I know it doesn't look like anyone is under control. But every promise of God will come to pass. And everything will work together for His glory and for your good. And that's why I want you to grab a hold of this truth here. Look at this verse on the screen. It's Isaiah 55, 11. God is speaking. And I remember this verse every time I come to bring God's word to you. It says, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In Romans, it says, so then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. I'm trying to give you a word from God's word. Because my words, they're going to return empty. Your words will return empty. A promise from me will return empty. But God's words won't. God's, God's words will not return empty. And you need to know that and be remember, reminded of that today. Here's the second part of this faith journey. And this is probably where most of us are, are today. And that's number two. Faith continues regardless of what you see. If you don't hear anything else today, I've come to tell you that wherever you are in your faith journey, whatever you've been believing God for, I don't know what that is. It could be that healing, could be a relationship to be restored, could be a legal situation to come to an end, the restoration of something, a goal to be met. I don't know what it is, but you need to know there's more going on than you think there is. There's more happening than what you see. There's more going on than, than just what you hear on that phone call. There's more there. And faith continues regardless of what you see. Watch, watch how this story with Elijah plays out. Elijah prays for it to rain. And guess what? It doesn't rain. The Bible says he put his head down between his legs. And he tells his servant, go look over the sea. In 1 Kings 18, 43. Go look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there. Come on, anybody ever felt like that? You prayed? You sought the Lord? You went home? There ain't nothing there. There ain't no change. There's nothing there. He said seven times, Elijah said, go back. Circle those two words, go back. He kept on. He didn't give up. He was persistent in his faith. And I wanted to tell somebody today, go back. Pray some more. Seek God some more. Do it some more. You gave up too soon. Go back. Seek the Lord again. I've got things in my life I've been praying for healing for years. I'm not giving up. I'm going to go back. I'm not going to stop believing. I'm going to keep worshiping. What about now? Well, it's worse. I'll go back again. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. 
Elijah says, well, that's all I needed to hear. Notice the persistence in his faith. So Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Go tell Ahab, he's got a flood to beat. He's got a flood he's got to outrun. And the rain is going to stop him if he doesn't get home. I love the process. I love the persistence of that. I think that's what James is wanting us to see when he talks about this account with Elijah. That I'm going to keep trusting God. Wherever you are in your situation, hold on. Don't give up. Put your face to the ground and believe God again. And if you don't see anything out over the sea, do it again. Pray again. Seek the Lord again. Why? Because we walk, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk how? By faith, not by sight. Why does God operate this way? Why does He make it complicated? Why does God do that? Why can't I just pray and he do it? I think there's a reason for it. And I think if, if you came to understand this and appreciate it, it would, it would transform your relationship with God. You'll even begin to appreciate it. Because it's a process. Faith is a journey. It literally went from no cloud, seven times no cloud, and then it wasn't just like rain came out of nowhere. No, a cloud grew. It grew. And here's something we have to get used to with God. Number three, faith goes from a small beginning to a grand finale. Faith goes from a small beginning. And I intentionally wanted you to write those words down. Because I want you to see that it goes from a small beginning. We want it instantly. It starts small. First Kings 18.45 says, Meanwhile, the sky grew. It grew. Black with clouds, the wind rose. A heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. God finishes it with a grand finale, doing something that's humanly impossible. But he likes small beginnings. He likes the process. Why? Because in the process, the work begins. And our relationship with with him becomes so huge, and so close, and so powerful. We like instant. We like everything to be instant. God likes faithfulness. God likes the journey. It's no good to you. It's no good to Him if you get to the destination and beat the arrival time. If nothing has grown in you, if you have not been transformed into the likeness of His Son, if you have not grown in your faith, and if you don't have a godly perspective, God likes faithfulness. Watch what happened to the, Apostles Paul, the Apostle Paul's faith when he learned this. Uh, he's talking about a, a metaphor, a thorn in his side, he called it. That he asked God to heal. He asked God to take it away. He says three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul said, well, if that's the way it is, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. He says, well, if that's the way it is, I'm no longer ashamed by these weaknesses. I see it's the power of Christ can work through me. And we're so focused on healing. We're so focused on divine healing. And God, He's concerned about something deeper, something bigger. The healing's important. He says, pray for it. Ask God for it. Seek it out. But it's not the most important thing. Because God has you on a faith journey 
And if you're taking notes, write this in. And the process is the point. The process is the point. If you want to understand faith, the process is the point. Let God work in you. He still heals. He still does miracles. But maybe that thorn is there to drive you to to the throne. Maybe the thorn is there to drive you deeper into God. Maybe the thorn is there to keep you seeking God. Maybe the thorn is there to drive you to the throne and push you deeper into a process that will reveal God's power and grace like never before. Would you please bow your heads? In just a second, I'm going to pray. And today I want to pray specifically with those of you who are in the midst of a physical struggle or an illness and you want in on this prayer. And so in just a moment, I'm going to simply ask you to stand. Every week we receive so many prayer requests for physical healing or perspective on a physical struggle. So this will be several of you. And I'm going to pray for healing. I'm going to pray for perspective. You won't have to come up front. You won't have to do anything, say anything. But if you have a physical struggle and want in on this prayer, I just invite you to stand right now. If you physically cannot stand, the person next to you can stand for you. That's what a church body does. Let's pray together. God, you know us so well. You created us. You know the number of hairs on our head, you said, and you even know the thoughts conceived in our hearts before we ever say them. You've told us to come to you and ask for every need in our life. You're the God who heals, and you have the final word on my destiny. The number of years I'll live and serve you on earth. I'm coming to you today as your child. That's who you say I am. And I'm longing to hear from you and asking for your divine healing. God, there's so much I don't understand about life. But I know that with one touch, one word, you can make me whole. So please, God, forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from my unrighteousness and begin your healing from the inside out. God, I don't know what your will is all the time, especially in times like now when I desperately seek your face. And I offer you no promises, no bargains, no deals in exchange for my health. I simply bow my heart before you and I tell you the desires of my heart. That I want to spend as many years as I can loving you here, loving others, and wanting to become more like you. And however you choose to accomplish that is up to you. It's okay with me. If you use doctors to provide healing, give them the wisdom to know what to do. But regardless of how you accomplish it, the healing you give is always miraculous. And you deserve all the praise. And God, I absolutely believe you have the power to heal. You demonstrated that on earth and you still heal in miraculous ways today. Even when my faith is weak, you say it's enough and my love for you is strong. And I know you already hold my heart and life in your hands. It's up to you. 
And if I can bring you more glory through healing, then that's what I ask for. It's what I desire. But if your answer is no or not now, I know that your grace is sufficient for me. Ultimately, I want your will to be my will. And I look forward to spending an eternity with you. But Lord, if you have plans still more for me to do on this earth, I not only need and want your physical healing, Lord, but a thorough, deep down cleansing and strengthening, a wholehearted renewal of all that I am, because all that I am is yours. And no matter what, I choose to honor you and give you glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.